examined those, all of those verses, we would look carefully at four phrases in particular in that text. In verse 4, we looked at the phrase, Whosoever committeth sin transgresses the law. In verse 6, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. In verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil. And in verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, nor can not and cannot commit sin. And so when you look at that, just that, you say, wow, you sinned, you're transgressing the law, the devil commits sin, and we can't, and I know better than that by my experience, because I can commit a sin. And I, maybe you don't, but I have had that experience in my life for certainly failing to obey. But we found all these verbs are either in the present tense or they're present tense infinitive, which means two different things. First of all, it means the continuing, continuous committing of sin as a lifestyle by those that are not born of God. The continuing, commit, continuous committing of sin of those who are not born of God as their lifestyle. Paul uses the term, let your conversation be such and such. He was talking about what they were talking about. He was talking about their lifestyle. And that's what the lifestyle is of the unredeemed is, is a continually committing sin as a lifestyle. But, secondly, it's not speaking of the impossibility of those redeemed by grace, born of God people, it does not speak of the impossibility of our committing a single solitary act of sin, but rather that that person, man, woman, boy, or girl, that is born of God is not able to continue in sin habitually. You won't do that. You may stumble and fall and go off on a tangent or whatever, but it's going to be just a while and you're going to be turned around again in repentance. And because of the differences in our lifestyle, John writes in 1 John 3.10, in this, this different lifestyle between the two, the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. In other words, we as the children of God should be easily identified from those who are not children of God. As children of God, we persist, persist in resisting sin. And those who are not born of God persist in committing sin. So it's a difference in our persisting, right? Not sinning or sinning. Well, our text, 1 John chapter 3, 11 through 18. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brothers. We love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. 
Hereby we, <coughs> pardon me. Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and setteth up his bowels of compassion, his heart of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray together. Father, we love your word. Every single syllable of it. We treasure it, Father. And Lord, we're grateful that you have preserved it for our instruction. And we, Father, want to learn more and more and more all the way home. This day, we ask that grace, Lord, of understanding, growing us beyond what we presently possess, we walked in the door, that we grow more today in understanding your precious truth, that we might live it for your honor, your praise, and for your glory. And Lord, to that end, it requires you and not me. So I pray, Father, to be all of thee and none of me for thy honor, thy praise, thy glory, and your purpose fulfilled in our gathering today. In Jesus' name, amen <clears throat> and amen. Well, John says there's nothing new about this message. This is the same message that you had, we had from the beginning, and we spoke... You know, when we were going in the beginning of our study of 1 John, we talked about the beginning that he speaks of, and he keeps referring back to, is the beginning of their understanding of the gospel, and not the beginning of the foundation of the earth. And that He's talking about the beginning when they were first believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the beginning of their gospel life, so to speak. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Gospel of John, chapter 13, 34 and 35, quoting the Lord Jesus Christ there. A new commandment, Jesus said, I give unto you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This verse is really... As the Lord spoke to them, provide us with two important details. First of all, it sets the bar for our loving one another. As I have loved you, you love each other. It sets the bar for our loving one another. And secondly, it tells us that our love for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ happens to be an important identifying principle, identifying element. As, I, as you and I, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be known by our love for each other. It'll be obvious. I remember when I was a boy, lived on a cotton farm in Ellis County, Texas, between Maypole and Itasca, two large metropolitan areas. <laughs> and there was a fellow there that had these big fields. We, he, his property was on this paved road to, Farm to Market Road 66. We called it Route 66. I lived off on a gravel road about two miles back over on a hill. 
in a little small farm. He had these big fields, and the dirt over there is pretty black, blackland soil. And he got sick. And he was a, I forget which he was, I think he was a Mormon, but I'm not sure. It was something else, okay? Something like that. And he got sick, and it was time to plant and do all this work. And lo and behold, on the way to town, one day Pop said, look over there. And here are four tractors with four-wheel equipment. I guess they had a thing for Oliver tractors. Remember those old Oliver tractors? They were green. There was four of those tractors coming back and forth through that field. All his brothers came with their equipment to put his crops in. Now, I don't know what their denomination or whatever it was, but I'll tell you one thing. They were demonstrating their love for one another because they're taking up their own time, money, and equipment and doing for their brother in whatever faith that they were in. It's an identifying element, our love for one another. But it's a love that divides even families. Divides even families. John says in 3.12, we're to love one another, but not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore he slew him, slew he him because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Now this is interesting. Think about this. These two boys grew up together. In fact, they probably favored each other somewhat as brothers. And they had to be each other's number one playmate. I mean, after all, who else were they going to play with? There was no one else. Why on earth would he kill his only brother? Why? The scripture tells us because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Well, would Cain have killed Abel if Abel's works were like Cain's? What think ye? I think not. If Abel was on the same side of the table as Cain in works, he would have never killed him. I don't think. What would have been the beef with him? Now, we can't read anything into the Word of God, but the beef it says from the Word of God is that his works were evil and Abel's were righteous. And that was the dividing line in that family. And it continues into this day. You know families, I know families, that are divided because of the gospel. There are those in the faith and those that are not in the faith. And they may get together on Thanksgiving and Christmas, or maybe not, but there's not that koinonia, that fellowship of the faith that you and I can have together because of the dividing line of the blood of Christ. But according to the Apostle John, if we are easily identified as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what it does? It sets us up to be hated by the non-disciples, just like Cain hated Abel. 
referring to the Lord's statement as recorded in John 17, 14. Marvel not if the world hate you. Marvel not. Don't be surprised at that. Now, if you don't want to be hated by anyone and you want to be loved by everyone, it's really very simple. All you got to do is show your love for the world. Look like the world. Dress like the world. Participate in all the worldly activities. Join the club life. Drink their booze and do their drugs. Read their filthy books. Go to their profanity-laced and sexually-laced movies. Then you'll be qualified and equipped to have, quote, pseudo-intelligent conversations with them when you gather with them. You'll fit in comfortably with their worldly conversations. Jesus said, this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their what? Deeds were evil. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. See, if you want to be loved by everyone, just look like the dark. Simple. And if you can stand it, it probably means that you were one of the dark all along. Hear me, please. If you can stand it, going out and living like a worldling and under the kingdom of darkness, if you can stand that, it likely says you never have been born of God. You've never been translated out of the kingdom of light. And you're just living like you're accustomed to living. You know, you might have put on a good show for a while. Walked an aisle, filled out the card, all that stuff. Prayed with the preacher, baptized in the pool, all of that stuff. That was fun for a season, but it just wasn't you. Maybe you went back to where you're more comfortable. My little wife had one brother many years ago, many years ago. He was going to marry this girl. And he talked to me about marrying them. And I declined. He professed to be saved. She did not. I said, I'm sorry. I can't do it. And I want to tell you, that probably wasn't the most, one of the most positive times in our family experience. <laughs> but I couldn't do it. Went to the wedding. Waver and I did. The preacher came up to me that was going to do the wedding. He said, brother, I appreciate your convictions but I believe she's close to the kingdom. In a very kind and gracious way, I said, sir, can you give me a scripture on that? They were active in church. It went on really well for a good long while, the equivalent of about two years. And she said, and I quote, this is just not me, and I'm out of here. What? 
she couldn't get accustomed to the light because she wasn't of the light. And you can't be of the light unless something has happened to you beyond yourself and outside of yourself. And it has to start with God in election and carried through by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And you can't get there from here going back. You get here from there going back. It starts at election. And by the grace of God, he applies it to our souls. You can't stay out there in the dark if you've been regenerated. It's not going to happen. You might laugh and play for a while. But I'm going to tell you something. That holy hound of heaven, the Holy Spirit of God, is not going to let you go. And he's going to turn you sooner or later. And you know what's going to happen when you're turned? You're going to say, what Paul said, oh, my soul, what fruit had I then in those things of which now I'm ashamed? Don't make the trip. <laughs> Don't make that trip. But if you do, if you do, you can have confidence that when Christ appears, you're not losing your old friends because you'll be spending eternity with them in hell. That's it. But Jesus said, I am come. <laughs> Glory to God. I am come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Well, the love that binds disciples together, even closer than families. This is a wonderful thing. Think about that. Now as an only child. And my church family has always been very, very important to me. Because I love the fellowship. I love the brother and sisterly stuff, okay? Because I didn't have that growing up. I like it. I'd be miserable if I didn't have it. But it's interesting. Even in my case, I bet it's still in yours. That you're closer to your brothers and sisters in the faith, and maybe even in this fellowship of, of Christ right here, than you are some of your blood kin. That's what the blood of Jesus does. It's a superior bonding of brothers and sisters, not discounting the family at all. Turn to 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 22. If you want to use a Hugh Bible, it's on page 1049. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 22. Peter writes, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, Unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that though ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Word purified. It purified your souls. Agnosio. It's to make free from sin or guilt. It's a verb. It's present tense active verb. Purify. The perfect tense. This is interesting now in this verse. Seeing you have purified your souls, the perfect tense speaks of action in the past that has a present result. 
He's saying, you have purified your souls. That's a present situation. Exists right now. You have purified your souls. How did it do that? By obeying. It produced a state of being with a result right now, what they had been doing all along. The emphasis, by the way, in that is on the present. Not what they had been doing. Look at the verse. It said, since you have purified your souls, he's saying, here now, you're purified souls. He hasn't not speaking much about what they did, notwithstanding they had to do it. But they purified their souls. Now, if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, 15, 16, just go back up the line there a little bit. This sets the context of verse 22. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, all manner of lifestyle, because it is written, <clears throat> pardon me, be ye holy, for I am holy. That's the context. Peter is saying, do this, be holy. Now note verse 22 again. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. That little preposition in, in obeying, could also be translated by. Since you've purified your souls by obeying the truth. And you know what? Contextually, this speaks of action that they had done. Action that they had taken. It was not anything done to them. They didn't get it by osmosis. It was action that they had taken. You know what? That's what John said. 1 John 2, 3. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself as he is pure. Everyone that's looking for the Lord Jesus purifies himself. This is work they did. You know, I'm echoing up here. Am I sounding all right? Okay. What is this? This is post-conversion work. Post-conversion active obedience to the truth of the scriptures. That's how Peter's first readers and all of us wind up with purified souls. It's through post-conversion. After we are born of God, we obey the truth of God. And as we are obeying the truth of God, we're in the process of purifying our souls. And as we continue to work in the obedience of the scripture, our souls are purified. And then we say, you're one with a purified soul as a result of your obedience. And there's another result of this. Verse 22, still there. This word, unfeigned love of the brethren. That word unfeigned is an hypocritus. An hypocritus. Now, remember the Greek words are going to be on the test, okay? But this word, an hypocritus, what is it? The last part of it is the root word from where we get our word hypocrite. And the prefix means a negation. So it means this. Unfeigned love is love without hypocrisy. It's genuine, heartfelt love. No hypocrisy. Sincere, real deal love. 
Everyone's heard the little ditty, I'm sure, to live above with the saints we love, that would be glory. To live below with the saints we know, well, that's quite a different story. <laughs> you know, when we were first saved, I'm sure it was your experience, it was mine certainly, newborn in Jesus, and all of a sudden, here you feel a kindred spirit, maybe that, certainly that person that shared the faith with you or whatever, or that new fellowship group you're in, you sense you have a kindred spirit, you sense, feel a sense of brotherly and sisterly love, of, of bonding with them. It's a natural part of being born into a family. This time it's the family of God. However, as we grow in Christ, that initial bond of brother and sisterly love grows and grows to a much deeper level of love. Now look at 1 Peter again, verse 22. Seeing you have purified your souls in or by obeying the truth of the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brother, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now notice the little preposition there. It's a primary preposition, the word unto, U-N-T-O, unto. It speaks of linear action. It points out arriving at a designation, a point reached, a result. If Roger said, I'm driving unto Dallas Monday, you would think, well, he's speaking kind of formally. He normally would just say two. But you know what, what he means. He's making a trip, and he purposes to arrive in Dallas, his destination. That's what this means. It's a destination there. And they have purified their souls by obeying the truth of God through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. They reached or achieved that result. They had love for the brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ without hypocrisy. It was a genuine, heartfelt love. There's another key word there. Obeying. That obeying is a Greek word that means to obey on the basis of having paid attention to. They have paid attention to the word of God. They have sought to discipline themselves to obey the word of God. And by obeying the word of God, it is resulting day in and day out in the purifying of their souls. Now, I want to tell you something. It's not a microwave experience. And so, well, I've been studying the scriptures now for six months and I can't tell any difference in me. Well, maybe you can't. Maybe someone else can. I don't know. But I want to tell you one thing. If you don't want to be changed, you better stay out of this. Because the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than two-edged sword, as Ted read this morning. And you will be changed as you study and absorb and engraft the word of God. It's a wonderful thing to be changed by him through his work. Obeying the truth, which certainly is the truth of the gospel and the whole counsel of the word of God. But... That's not all that's there yet. Notice the phrase, verse 22 still, through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. Obeying the truth through the Spirit. The word through 
is an English translation of the small word dia, D-I-A, D-I-A, okay? It's a preposition. But what does it mean? It means on the account of or because of. So we can say this, obeying the truth because of the Spirit. Now that's very important (laughs) because we're not in this battle alone. Because of the Spirit. We have the Spirit of God in us. And because of the Spirit facilitating us, we can do certain things. You know, after we've been enabled by grace, enabled to, by faith to receive the gospel, the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of sin, both before conversion and post conversion. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. 8.16 to Roman, he gives us assurance that we're children of God. And I'll tell you something, if we didn't have assurance of God, we have no conviction of sin. We'd still be sailing free in the kingdom of darkness. But we're no longer sailing free in the kingdom of darkness. We've been born of God. And so now he's convicting us of sin that's not in keeping with a, a child of light, a, a citizen of the kingdom. John 14, we talked about the word counselor. The Holy Spirit being called a counselor. The message is passed. It could also be translated, excuse me, comforter. It could also be translated counselor. But the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, but the comforter or the counselor, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. And John said virtually the same thing in 227, the first chapter. But the anointing which you have received of him, what? The Holy Spirit in you. You need not that any man teach you, but it's the same anointing teach you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. Even as they taught you, you shall abide in him. So, as we grow in grace by obeying the truth, because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God within us, we grow. An unfeigned love. That sincere, genuine, agape love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Which makes us more distinguishable as disciples of Christ, right? But it also marks us out clearly and distinctly to be hated by the world. It goes with it. By the way... Talking about this unfeigned love for brothers and sisters, that's in the context there. I want to move outside the context just a moment. If we've been, if we're born of God and we've been obeying the truth of God and we're growing and purifying our souls through obeying the truth of God, certainly it produces a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it grows and grows and grows. It also produces a love for the Word of God and the worship of God with the brothers and sisters in Christ. There will be a love for the church of Jesus Christ within you that wasn't there before, and it'll go more and more and more. To where you have to miss a Sunday, you're not going to be comfortable. <laughs> you're going to love it. You're going to miss being here. And I talk to people all the time, and i got people in my family. They're not in church. What's with you? Oh, I know the Lord, we just we got so much going on. Poppycock. 
Oh. <laughs> but you know what? There, but by the grace of God, go with I. Go with you. Only by the grace of God would we, we're not numbered with those who are indifferent to the Word of God, to the fellowship of the saints, and the worship services. God's grace. So we perceive by faith this genuine love. 3.16, he says, Hereby we perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Perceive means to know or understand. Remember we talked about that word in another text. It means to something we've come to understand by observation. We've observed this. And we know this to be true. And we continue to know it's true. And we never forget that it's true. We'll always know it's true. It's something we've learned by observation that God showed his love to us by laying down his life for us. Perfect tense verb. We've come to know it. We always know it. Laid down. The Greek word means to put in place. It's something you do. You laid it down. No one else laid it down. You laid it down. It's an aorist tense verb. It speaks of action in the past. He laid down his life. Laid down, past tense, for us. He did it. No one has helped him do it. That's important to remember that. Here you've got Roman soldiers with spears and clubs and these whips. You've got a weak-kneed leader of the people. Well, they had a lot to do with it. You've got the Jews trying out, crucify him, crucify him. Oh, they had so much to do with it. No, they didn't. There weren't the controlling factors there, ladies and gentlemen. We need to understand that never were the people there the controlling factors of what happened to our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Never. Jesus said, therefore does my Father love me. Why? Because I lay down my life. I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No man take my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up. And he did lay it down. And he did take it up. And those other people there, oh, they thought they were doing something, but they were just bystanders to the Lord of glory accomplishing his past purpose before the foundation of the earth. That's it. Watching. Holy, the Lord of glory, whom they recognized not and received not, accomplished his perfect will in the redemption of you and I. Wow. Sometimes, Pastor, I just think I'm going to turn into a charismatic and start shouting and jumping pews. Glory to God, what Christ has done for us. And we ought, it says. What's ought? It's another little, a fellow Greek word. It means to be obligated. We owe something. It's a present tense. The debt is never paid. We ought means a debt that you and I have that is never, ever paid in this life. We ought to lay down our life 
for the brothers. Brothers here understood as siblings, of course, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this unfeigned love, if we got it, it's real, no hypocrisy in it. It's going to manifest itself in fruit. If there's unfeigned love for our brothers and sisters, there's going to be a fruit because we have it at our hearts. And what's that fruit? John says in 317, Whoso has this world's good, and see if his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion, his heart of compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in him? This world's good. That word good means, it's a Greek word, bios, B-I-O-S. What is it? Basic needs, getting by. What you have to have to live. Back in Ellis County, where I grew up on those cotton farms, I don't know anybody out there in the country had any money. If somebody said, see one of those farms, how you doing? Well, getting by, getting by. That's bios, getting by. We see a brother and sister that doesn't have bios, they don't have the get by stuff. John says that if you see someone that doesn't have the get by stuff, and you don't reach out in compassion, how dwelleth the love of God in you? That word seeth means to observe. And that's important. Because so often people are in deep need. Godly people in deep need. Wouldn't say a word to you. But you can be observant yourself and you can see. You can see. In a time, one time years ago, my wife and I had one of these Ford vans that the Lord led us to, provided for us. We hauled our family around. I hauled a lot of batteries in a lot of places and that thing. And I went to this church to preach just one particular Sunday. I wasn't pastoring there. I just went there to preach. I was invited to fill the pulpit. And so I went. And on Monday morning, there was a knock on my door our door, and I went to the door, and here's this gentleman that I had just met. I said, hi there, come on in, what, I'm glad to see you, what can I do for you? He said, I can't stay, preacher, but I just want to bring you this, and he handed me some cash. He said, I walked by your van yesterday and noticed that you, it's in the church parking lot, and you need two new front tires, so here it is. And he walked away. Love of the brethren. Observing a need. And meeting it. Now, now look at this. <clears throat> look at verse 316, okay? And verse 17. And there's a change there you'll see there's a change from the word brethren in verse 16 to brother in verse 17. Okay? See that? Brethren in 16, brother in 17. Now John Stott, who had uh, wrote a New Testament commentary, Tyndale New Testament commentary, he made a significant statement about this, and I want to quote him here. He said the transition from the plural brethren or our brothers in verse 16 to the singular his brother in verse 17 is deliberate and significant. 
It is easier to be enthusiastic about humanity, he says, with a capital H, than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Loving everyone in general may be an excuse for loving no one in particular. That's a profound statement. Certainly it's easier, far more easier and financially convenient for us to take things down to the Salvation Army and a hand-up ministry here in Lindale. Stuff that we no longer want or need, outgrown, whatever. Good organizations, Christ-centered ministries, worthy of uh, consideration as far as contributions are concerned. It's easier to do that. And having said that, there's a panhandling on every corner. And they all have their own story. Some of them are legit. Some of them not so much. You have to let the Lord lead you what you do about those sort of encounters. But sometimes giving them handouts is just a facilitating of their present lifestyle they're continuing that got them in this mess in the first place. And we don't want to do that. But the context here is our brothers and sisters in Christ who may have basic needs. And the burden is on us to observe and identify that they have them. It's interesting, John starts with a serious question for examination first, self-examination. Verse 317, Whoso has this world's good, sees his brother has that need, setteth up his heart of compassion for him, how dwell the love of God in him? That's a question for us to examine ourselves by. If we don't have any compassion or concern for our brothers and sisters of Christ, you know, it might be that they're not our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? But I'm not suggesting that they're not in Christ. What I'm questioning is, if we have no concern for them, are we in Christ? Because the natural fruit of being in Christ, the love of Christ shed abroad in our hearts, is we're going to grow in love for our brethren, our sistren in Christ. And if we have no compassion or no concern about what they have, their basic needs, we need to go to the Word of God and find out if we're saved at all. And secondly, if we are saved, we need to go through the lens of Scripture and prayer to find out what's ill in our soul because something is amiss. If we can look at a brother and sister who is lacking basic needs and have no burden in our hearts for them and want to do something for them, however big or small it might be, something wrong. Not with them. With me. Indeed. Jesus said, we'd be known by our love. If there's no, ev- if there's no evidence, 
Are we his disciples? The proper expression, John, of that love, 1 John 3, 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in truth, tongue, but indeed in truth. It's logos and glossa. Not just things we're going to say, but indeed and truth. Love that way. When the Apostle John puts that in the context of love, the Apostle Peter puts it in the context of faith. Apostle James, excuse me, puts it in the context of faith. James chapter 2, 14 through 18. Page 140,046 in the few Bible, if you want to use one of those. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works, James says, show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show you my faith with my works. The key thing about biblical agape love that's in all of the disciples of Christ, all of the born ones have it, and hopefully are growing in it, and faith. Both the love and faith have two things in common. Or one thing for certain. It says that they both need deeds to reveal their genuineness. Both faith, genuine faith, and genuine biblical love need deeds to prove that they are genuine. If there are no deeds, neither is genuine. And the proof is not out there. It's in here. So in summary, hatred characterizes the world we live in. The prototype of the world's hatred is Cain. But the hatred of the world originates in the devil, not Cain originates in the devil. Issues in murder, one way or the other, is evidence of spiritual death, whereas love characterizes the church of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is the prototype of love. It's at the bar of what love really is. But that love originates in God, It always issues in self-sacrifice and is evidence of eternal life. Where it's not, there's not life eternal. Where it is, there is life eternal. So in answer to Cain's question, the yes of God, Genesis chapter 4, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. We're our brother's keeper. We're our sister's keeper. Genuine love will respond to action. There's a brother or sister in need. So be watchful. 
around you. I'm not saying be nosy. I'm saying be observant of your brothers and sisters. That's our responsibility because they're our family. Or the bond closer than biological family. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus. So let's be observant and make sure they have what they need, the basic needs. Because they're not going to tell you. But when we find out, we can help in some way or the other. May God give us grace to be sensitive to him in that regard. In Jesus' name, Father, we lift our hearts to you. And Lord, ask 